Father, we thank You for this time together this morning. Please speak to us and through us. And may the name of the Lord be praised. It's all these things we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, and we're continuing through the Gospel of Mark. And if you'd like a copy of the Gospel of Mark, we have those outside. If you have one you would like to just give to someone and challenge them uh, to read three chapters a day with you uh, for the next six weeks, uh, we want to challenge you to do that. And there are copies outside that you're welcome to have if you would like to do that. Well, one of the reasons we're studying the Gospel of Mark, uh, because Mark tells us who the real Jesus is. Uh, Mark was the first of the Gospels to be recorded. Uh, many scholars believe anywhere from uh, 20 to 40 years after the time of Christ. Uh, there were still many eyewitnesses at the time. Uh, Mark had studied with Peter extensively and recorded his notes. And we have the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest of the Gospels, and also the one that is the most action-oriented. Matter of fact, we see the word immediately or quickly, depending on your translation, appearing 47 times. It's a gospel of action. And Mark wrote this so that people would understand who the real Jesus was. You know, today, even in our culture, a lot of people, uh, they're not opposed to Jesus. They're just opposed to the real Jesus. They want the nice Jesus, okay? I would like to take the sweet Jesus. If you'll remember Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist, wrote kind of his version of the Bible. He kind of just cut out different passages of the Bible. Matter of fact, uh, it was just rediscovered not too long ago, one of the original uh, books that Thomas Jefferson had put together. And he would cut out a lot of the teachings that uh, he felt like, quite frankly, weren't very nice or didn't really go with his image of Jesus. So, in effect, what he did, and I love Thomas Jefferson, but in effect, what he did is he created a God of his own mind, a Jesus of his own mind. But when we come to the Scripture, it's imperative that we recognize we don't just get to make up our own Jesus. That's what culture today does. There's a book called Soul Search uh, by Christopher Smith, and he says, here's what most of our culture has made of Jesus. They've created what he calls a moral therapeutic deist, or a moral therapeutic deism is their religion. Moral because, hey, look, Jesus was a nice guy, and he was a good guy, and that's the moral Jesus. And then therapeutic because Jesus wants to make you happy. That's what his goal was. So let's look at the happy verses, and let's talk about the happy things. And then a deist because Jesus... And God, they're kind of out there. They're not involved in our daily lives. They maybe send some positive energy our way, but as far as really being involved in our daily lives, that's just not the case. So people have created in their own minds an idol, which is the moral, therapeutic, deistic Jesus. But see, that's why Mark wrote this book. That's why the other gospel writers wrote the gospel. That's why we have four accounts, so that we can know who Jesus is and what he taught. And that's why we're looking at the gospel of Mark today. You know, it's a lot like St. Patrick's Day is coming up here. Uh, Not this weekend, but next weekend. And uh, a lot of people have an image that they have of St. Patrick. How many of you know the real story of St. Patrick? You know the real story. 
There's about three of you. Okay. Most of us, here's what we think about St. Patrick. It's a day where Irish and other people get together and drink and have a party. That's what we think. And little green men, people dress up in green. And this little, matter of fact, St. Patrick was probably a little green man. I think he was a leprechaun. Okay. That was the image I had when I was a child. <clears throat> and that's what St. Patrick's Day is. But who is St. Patrick? St. Patrick was actually uh, a young man who grew up in England and grew up in a middle-class family on the coast. matter of fact, he could see the ocean from his home. <clears throat> his family did fairly well. One day his parents were out and a group of pirate, uh, Irish pirates came in and they took him and the workers and the servants in his house <clears throat> and they kidnapped him. They put him on a boat and they went back to a remote place in Ireland where they were raising pigs and they made slaves out of them. And St. Patrick lived there for the next six years. And he said it was during that time that he really encountered God. And the scriptures that he had memorized and the Bible that he had learned when he was a child really began to ring true in his heart. And he wrote a phenomenal book called Confessions. And after six years, he was able to escape. And he made his way back home to England. And when he got there, his family was overjoyed. And they were so excited. And after about a year or so, he really felt like God was compelling him to go back to Ireland as a missionary. And to speak the truth and to tell them the Word of God. His family thought he was crazy. The people in the town, uh, even the priests didn't think that was a very good idea because there was a lot of animosity between the Irish and the English at that time. And But St. Patrick was overwhelmed by the calling God had placed his heart. So he left home in England and went back to the very place where he had been kidnapped, the very country where he had been kidnapped, and began to boldly proclaim the gospel throughout the country. And that's why we celebrate well, that's not why most people celebrate, but that's the true story of St. Patrick. But there's a case of an image that has been totally distorted and a story, the importance of the story, the reason that he is considered a saint by the Catholic Church is because of what he did. So is true of Jesus, what he said, what he did, and who he was the God of the universe. The God of the universe who made Himself flesh and came and dwelt upon this earth. And one of the ways that we can know... Here's a good just piece of uh, philosophical apologetics right here. One of the reasons that we can know that the gospel account of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John is true, because if I was making up a story, if I was making up a God, here's what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't put him on earth and say, okay, I'm going to take God from heaven and put him on earth. I'm going to make him really poor. And I'm going to put him in a position uh, where he hangs out with the, with the least, least desirable people. And then I'm going to have people abuse him and curse him and torture him. And then have him beaten almost to a pulp. And then I'm going to have people drive nails through his hand. Because, you know, of course he is God. I'm going to have him drive nails through his hands and through his feet. And let him suffer and let people mock him and, and curse him. And watch him die between. As a matter of fact, I think I'll put a couple of thieves up in, in between. I'll put two completely immoral men, and I'll have him just die and suffer in the middle of them. And then I'll have him placed in a grave because he can't afford one himself, and then rise again after the third day. You see, that's not even something we would ever think up. We wouldn't even think of the royal, the deistic God of the universe being put willingly in a condition like that to where he would suffer and die for mankind. But that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us. That's the hope and the good news of the Gospels, is that God has come in the flesh 
and he has suffered and died and taken our sin upon him so that he who knew sin, he who was sinful, us, he who knew no sin may become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. There's the story. Well, let's look here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. And at the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming out of the water, He saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are My Son in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. We see here the revelation We see the joy that must be transpiring with John Baptist and others. And then it's interesting after that, it says that the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days. After this miraculous experience, after this revelation, after this great time of rejoicing, and he's tempted by Satan. And he was with animals and angels attended him. And then it says this, after John... Was put in, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news that time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The announcement was given here. Look, this is the time. This is the era. That word time right there is not the word chronos for which we do just logical sequel time, but it's the era. It's karyos, the era of time. This is the era of which the kingdom has come. Repent, believe, the good news is upon you. The thing that you've been waiting for is here. The one in whom you have been expecting is here. But then you go back to the beginning of that verse, and it said, and John was in prison. That's a great paradox of the faith, isn't it? I mean, things are happening. John has been faithfully praying. He has been faithfully anticipating. He has been preaching the gospel of repentance to come and to see. And he says, this is the one in whom we have wished and hoped for. This is the one of whom the prophecies speak of. He's here. It's a joyous time. The voice of God has even affirmed it. This is it. This is what we've all been waiting for. And John thinks, the time has arrived. And then he finds himself in prison. Has there ever been a time in your life where you worked hard? You did what you thought you should do. You'd been praying. You'd been faithful. You'd done all the things that you had thought you were supposed to do. And then you found yourself in a prison. Maybe not a literal prison, but in a dark place. Here's John in a dark, dungeon-like prison. With The only thing he can hope for is that somebody's going to break me out or they're going to kill me. He had heard the rumors. He had heard the stories. He knew that many people wanted him dead. Herod Antipas had placed him there because he had spoke out against his sin because Herod Antipas had taken his brother Philip's wife and taken her and married her unlawfully, just taken her away. Not to mention it was his, his own niece as well. And John said, that's not right. You're the leader of the Jewish people. We're supposed to be some kind of theocracy. And you're the leader. You're the king. And you've done this? It's not right. It's not right. They threw him in prison for speaking out truth, for speaking what was right. And now he's in a dark cell. And just so you know that John's not some unrealistic guy, just so you know he's a lot like us, he's been there a while. Jesus is out preaching. And the Bible tells us it's happening. 
Jesus is preaching the message. He's inviting people to come, to repent. The kingdom of God is here. But John's not getting to see it. Because he's in a cell. He's in darkness. And he only hears negative comments every day. Probably that you're going to die. And oh, you think you were the great preacher man. You think you really made a difference. You didn't. So you know what John says? We see this in the other gospel writers. John finally gets the point that he sends, somebody comes to visit him and he sends one of his messengers. And this is what John says. Are you the Christ? Are you the promised Messiah? Or should we wait for another? Because John's probably thinking, this isn't the way I saw things going. This isn't how it was supposed to be. I, I thought I was going to be the forerunner and I was going to be with him. Maybe not beside him, but certainly behind him. And I'm not seeing anything happen. I've been preaching this message. I've been living in the desert. I've been eating locusts and wild honey and a low cholesterol diet. And I mean, none of it's worked for me. You know, and now I'm in jail. And it doesn't seem that anyone's coming to get me. I'm hearing the opposite message. I'm not seeing the miracles that Jesus is doing. I'm not hearing about it. All I'm finding out is that there's a good chance I'm going to lose my head. You know, I'd really like to skip over this part and just go, and they came and got John out, and he was happy, and it all worked out great. Nice Jesus came and made John happy, and things just floated away just the, the, the way they always expected, the way John dreamed they would be. But that's not what happened at all. John dies. And here's the hard thing, and you know this. John dies not because he did something wrong, not because he was unrighteous, but because he was righteous, because he stood for truth. Just like Job. Why did Job suffer? Because he was a bonehead? Because he was a bad father? Because he didn't learn enough Scripture? No, because he was righteous. That's just a really hard message for us in the 21st century in America today, isn't it? That sometimes you suffer because you're righteous. I.e. see John the Baptist. I.e. see Jesus. I.e. see the Apostle Paul. I.e. see virtually every disciple. Because you're righteous. Well, that doesn't fit into my therapeutic, nice Jesus mode at all. There must be another reason that we come to Christ if He's not going to make my life easy and simple, if He's not going to make me happy. There is. Because He is God and because He commands our worship. We recognize Him as the God of the universe. We accept by grace His salvation and we recognize that this is not the end. And that we worship a God who can redeem all things. You see, John had a purpose which was much bigger than comfort. See, John did, John never thought that he would have what some of us think. You know what? I'm looking for the um, the uh, recliner chair Christianity. If you don't mind, I'd like to get a big recliner, and uh, I'd like to get a lot of drinks and, and a lot of cable stations, and um, and I'll go on Sunday, and I'll pray, and I'll do whatever you need me to do. But Jesus, if you'll just make sure my recliner is waiting for me, um, because that's what I really want is I'm looking for a soft life. That's where I'm really going. And that's the opposite of what Jesus promises. Jesus actually promises he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who seeks to find a recliner and sit in it the rest of his life, he loses his purpose. But he who seeks to lose his life shall find it. It's a hard call. The call of Jesus 
is unique, it's radical, it's a process, and we see it over and over again. We see that here are men who and women who receive the revelation, and by faith they take that step, they experience that joy, and then all of a sudden there's a trial. And not only is there a trial, but there's pain. There's struggle. It's a battle. It's hard. It's actually what Jesus taught. It's not encouraging and reaffirming if we're only coming for a good time. If we're looking for six flags, it won't be what we thought at all. But if we're looking for the true God of the universe, Mark gives us an accurate description. If we can believe that this is not the end, but the beginning. If we can believe that purpose is greater than comfort. If we can believe that God wants to use us to transform those around us and to make an impact in the world. And one of the reasons we're in programs like Feed the Hunger, and one of the reasons we support orphanages, and one of the reasons we send people out in the mission field, and we do church planting, is because we believe God has called us as instruments to transform the world into His image. For them to see the light and the hope of Christ for eternity. That God's not just focused in on the next couple of small years of our life, but for eternity. That He's going to renew this earth. He's going to create a new earth in which everything will be right. In which everything will be completely redeemed. In which He will be glorified and we will know joy unspeakable. There will be no tears, no suffering. But on earth, it was never promised. I, I know this isn't the message you'll turn on television and hear. And I, and I know there are more popular messages to preach. But we just can't skip over John the Baptist and the life of Jesus. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God, God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is there's hope for you. You know what's interesting to me as we read through the rest of this passage is that it's unique, that his call is unique. And you know what's really unique to me is that in that day, one of the greatest things that could occur would be for once you put your kids in school and they begin to learn the Torah, would be for your child to go to the next step. It would kind of be like the advanced placement, kind of like the gifted and talented. They went to, the boys went to the basic school, they, they memorized the Torah. If they were able to memorize the Torah and answer a lot of questions, then they got to go to the next level and they got to memorize the prophets. <clears throat> if you did really well there, then you would look for a certain rabbi, kind of like an Ivy League school, one of much prestige, and you would go and you would go before him and he may test you and ask you questions and then he would say, you can follow me. And that was kind of the dream if you were a good Jewish boy. There's a dream of every good Jewish mother. Otherwise, after you finished your primary school, you went and you did the family trade. You went and worked with your hands. You went and did hard labor. And it's interesting who Jesus chooses. Jesus, as we read the rest of this passage, he goes out and he sees some fishermen, which, by the way, is not the first time they'd ever heard or seen Jesus. It's not like he's just walking around. You come follow me. Who's that? I don't know. Let's go. I mean, that wasn't what was happening. They had heard the teachings of Jesus. We know that from John chapter 1. They had heard him preach. But now he's selecting blue-collar, uneducated men, for the most part, who are not going to be very wealthy, who are not going to be very well esteemed, they didn't make it to the advanced class. They said, all right, it's time for you to go work with your dad or go do whatever it is you do. Thanks for coming. 
good, nice for trying. And they're older. They've, they've lost that opportunity. It's not even a hint in their mind that they would get to study under a prestigious rabbi. But Jesus is preaching. They've heard him preaching with authority. He says, come follow me. And here are guys in their 30s, maybe their 40s. And they leave their nets and they come and they follow him and they go to school with him. And what's interesting, they don't just learn knowledge. We see through this gospel, Mark's gospel, that it's a life of action, of works and deeds and great faith. It's holistic. It's not all these things that I've learned. Certainly I've learned it, but most of the learning was by example. Most of the learning came from parables and stories that Jesus would teach. And then he asked them to follow him. And he said this. He said things like this. He said it six different times, more than he said any other verse, any other expression. He said, he who seeks to lose his life will lose it. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And I'm sure they're going, what does that mean? That's what we do. What what does that mean? He who gives up his livelihood, who gives up his dream and ambition of how life is supposed to he who gives up his comfort and says, I will follow you, Jesus, no matter what it costs me. And he wouldn't lie, and it cost every one of them. Every one of them except John ended up dying. And we see all these early followers who give their life. What? For the glory of God. Is purpose bigger than comfort for you in life? Is that larger? Is that really why you exist? So that things will be easy and that one day you'll die soft and they'll say, Boy, he was sweet. He was nice. And he had a lot of stuff. Let's go home and eat tuna salad. I mean, is that it? Who say, you know what? He or she made a difference. I'm here today and I'm different. I know Christ. My children have been impacted. I know others who have been impacted because of their faith, because of their trust in Jesus Christ. Do we want to die as nice people? Or as people who followed the call? People who've impacted the kingdom. And if you hear that and you think, nah, then I question whether you're following the real Jesus or if you've made up one in your own mind. In his book, The Princess and the Goblin, matter of fact, I have a copy. If somebody wants to come get it from me, they're welcome to have it afterwards. But The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. George MacDonald tells a story of uh, a girl named Irene who her father was a king, her mother had passed away. She was lonely, but she was sheltered in her home. And she lived in her little garden castle home. And she had a nurse who took care of her. She was very limited to her exposure because there were goblins that lived out in the mountains. Goblins who lived underground. And you never wanted to go out at night because those goblins out in the daytime, they couldn't come into the sunlight. And incidentally, he was the primary influencer of J.R. Token and C.S. Lewis. Uh, They looked to him as their uh, kind of writing mentor. And so these goblins were out there, but she had never seen one. She just heard the stories. She was always protected. And she'd get lonely sometimes. And one day she went upstairs to an upper room, and she found there a woman. And the woman ended up being her great-great-grandmother. Now, her great-great-grandmother had died long before, but 
she could see her and she would talk to her and she, her great-grandmother would encourage her and tell her stories and take care of her. And one day, her great-great-grandmother said, I know that you don't always see me when you come up here. I'm not always available. So I want to give you something. I want to give you a ring, a special ring. And then also there's a special thread. And if you ever get in trouble, what you can do is you can follow that thread. And she said, it will lead to me, me to you, great-great-grandma. She goes, yes, but it may be, not be like you think. So she took that ring and she said, just keep it underneath your pillow with that thread. And if you ever need it, just follow the thread. Well, a few days later, early one morning when it was still dark, she began to hear these hideous noises. It must be the goblins. She became extremely frightened. And so she remembered what her grandmother had said. And she felt the ring underneath her pillow. And she felt the thread. And she began to follow the thread, thinking it would take her upstairs to her grandmother. But that's not where the thread took her at all. The thread took her down to the bottom of the stairs, down to the floor of the house, and out the door of the house, and through the garden, into the fields, toward the mountains that she was never supposed to go to. She kept following that thread. And soon she came to a mountain. She came to a cave. She walked inside the cave, and it was dark and musty. She couldn't see her hand in front of her face. But still the thread continued to pull, and she continued to go, and she went in and out through tunnels. And finally she came to a pile of rocks and it ended there. This big, massive pile of rocks. And she tried to pull on it, but wouldn't go any further. And she recognized that if she was going to fall on any further, she was going to have to move some of those rocks. And she became despondent. This can't be where my grandmother is. This can't be where I'm supposed to go. But finally she thought it has to. My grandmother told me she wouldn't lie. and she, she began to move the rocks and it was hard and it was heavy lifting and they scratched her and her fingers were bleeding and finally she got to the point to where she could see through a hole. And in that hole was her best friend, Curdie. And Curdie saw the light and he said, Who is it? Who is it? He said, It's me, Irene. Irene, how'd you know I was here? Well, I just followed this thread. Can you get me out? He said, I don't know, it's going to be hard. There's still a lot of big rocks. He said, well, just move as many as you can. And there's a slab over there. Move as many as you can away from that slab, and I'll try to move it. I'll try to kick it down. And so she began to move those rocks. And after a lot of time, finally, Curdy was able to kick as hard as he could, and it came down. And he said, come on, let's go. She goes, we got to follow the thread. And the thread was leading back down in the direction he was. He goes, no, we don't want to go down there. I've heard the goblins, they're down there. This is the goblins' den. She goes, no, we must follow it. And so they followed it. And through a series of events, they finally end up back in her yard through following that line. And then eventually she leaves him and she goes up to her grandmother's where the thread ends. Now what's interesting about that story is that on faith, she believed that her grandmother would always lead her in the right direction, but it, leaded, it led her into a painful situation. But her friend never would have been saved. She had not gone down that valley. She had not gone down that tunnel. If she had not followed the thread, followed the leadership and the guidance of the one she trusted. Today, that's a picture of us following Jesus. That it doesn't always lead us down the smooth road. It often leads us down the road less traveled. That's exactly what will happen for the disciples of Christ. 
He says, there's good news. There's purpose in what I'm doing. I've come to bring forgiveness and salvation from your sins and to redeem your life and to redeem all your experiences. So the invitation to Christ is unique. It's radical. And it's a process. It's not just simply, I believe. It's not just simply, I'm a Christian, I got baptized. It's continuing in the process. It's believing. It's belonging to the family of God and ministering to one another. And it's becoming what God intended you to be. Which is a follower of Christ who impacts the world. Who shares His love. Who goes down the places where the Holy Spirit takes us when it's not comfortable. When it doesn't seem logical. It's sometimes being in that prison cell and thinking, God... Did I miss you? God, I was being faithful. Where did you go? God, would you redeem this time in my cell? I can't believe that you've led me here, but God, I want to trust and believe. Would you redeem it? The Orange Revolution was a revolution in the Ukraine. Philip Yancey writes about this in his book, what good is God? And there was an election in 2004, and the old communist regime, many of those in the party still were in leadership. And in Kiev, they did a great vote. And with this great movement, this orange movement, it appeared that thousands and thousands were ready for a change, and they'd come out to vote. But then when it was announced on television, it was announced in this manner. Well, the opposition has lost. The Orange Movement has lost by a decisive victory. It's not true. And our we remain, our government remains intact. Let us celebrate. And people couldn't believe it, but what was occurring in the bottom of the screen the government had not recognized was a, a lady who had been raised by deaf parents who was doing the sign language. And she began to sign saying, what they're telling you is not true. The revolution has been successful. Our president has been elected, but they are lying to you. Tell others the truth. So she began, through her little message, this lady who was, remember who she was communicating to, the marginalized, the deaf, those who couldn't speak, and those who couldn't hear. Those were the first to receive the message, and they began to sign to others who can and to tell others. And they began to tell the journalists and the media and the media and the journalists were inspired by this movement. And they began to tell the truth. And thousands upon thousands come to Kiev and they demand a recount, a revote. And because of out the outside world and because of many who were watching, the, the, the um, pressure was put on them to have another election. They, give, they have the additional election. And of course, uh, Yugoslavia wins. And the people are in freedom for the first time. They've elected their own official. But it happened because one little woman who chose to speak the truth well, the only means she had with her hands, though she knew it would cost her, though she knew she would find herself in prison when captured, did so anyway. And a revolution was started. What good is God? That's a good question for us today. He's only as good as you answer the call. He is the God of the universe. He is the one who has revealed the truth 
And by faith we can receive it. The question is, will we follow him completely? Have you ever come to that place where you didn't just accept the salvation to get your get out of hell free card, but where you said, God, I will follow you. And if that string takes me into a tunnel, if that string takes me to a brick wall, if that string takes me to prison, God, I will follow you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace that you have poured out on us. Lord, I pray today for those who feel like they followed the Holy Spirit and they're in a dry and desert place, that you would remind them that your grace is sufficient and that what's most important is that we be open to you redeeming our experience, redeeming our lives, so that purpose, which the greatest purpose is to bring you glory, might occur. So that other men and women and boys and girls might see of the greatness of God. That men and women would be willing to make sacrifices financially, uh, economically, socially, politically, and even, Lord, in our jobs. To stand for truth, to stand for what is right, and to trust you. God, we thank you that you are good and kind. But we thank you most of all that you are a God who saves. If there's one who doesn't know you today, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit.